Jonathan has been working in film for over a decade as a runner, writer, director, producer, and cameraman. He has already made short films, music videos, and short form videography work before training at Drama Center, and he now has a feature film released called The Good Neighbor, available right now on Amazon Prime. He has a production company with his partner in crime, Kate Tuck. So. Yeah, JR, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hello, sir. It's great to be here in these crazy, wonderful times. Well, hopefully Bizarre. people in the future are listening and they've got vaccines. You and I are still alive and it's all good. So yeah, yeah and cinemas are open. Yeah, yeah cinemas are open. Good. Did you see the queues? The queues yes, were crazy. They were around the building. Everybody was so keen to get back in there. Yeah, spring 2021. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you uh, have you been coping well? Have you been have you have you kept up your creation your creation muscle throughout this uh, yeah, lockdown too? Yeah, I will too? say. I mean, I've got to say it's that thing of you know, I'm I'm like lots of people. I know loads of people who've had a terrible time. Um, you know, have got the worst of it, and I have managed to miss it because I still do teaching and things like that and luckily had um, an infrastructure that meant I was actually followed during lockdown. Oh. So I got to just write um, wow. for months until I'd say June. Um, and so I'm, sixth, I'm on the sixth draft of a new script, which will hopefully be my second feature, and about to start a new draft of a film that will be uh, hopefully my, I guess, touch wood, my third, or my seventh feature. We'll go that far in the future. But awesome. yes, yeah, it's, I've been able to use this time and get on with work so i've been lucky one of the lucky ones really cool yeah part of the reason why uh, i created the podcast was so that uh, industry professionals you know not just creatives but industry professionals can get a little bit of confidence that it's not all doom and gloom and there is hope mm. you know so it, it's really positive to hear that you are actually staying active but also you weren't you weren't hit as hard as as others you know because then it kind of yes. it, it'll allow them to kind of get into your mindset and to see what kind of changes they can make to make those kind of avenues possible you know yeah because i think one of the things that i'm one of the reasons i mean i'm not maybe my agent might not want me to talk about it i don't know but as as like most you know indie filmmakers at the very beginning of their career like i am um you don't have lots of money and you need money and I've always worked on the basis of I need to have a slow, guaranteed financial income to get the bare minimum buy so I can do my creative work. So I was, from the beginning, have made sure that all of my main money doesn't actually come from my film work. Oh. Um, so that I have, exactly, yeah. So that when I do finally, I'm able to escape into the world and make all the money from my film work, it's fine. But it, I will say that my life choices up to this point have completely unplanned meant they've been COVID friendly. Um, and I, I think that's, that's something I'm happy to talk about later mm -hmm. to uh, give to people starting out because I think mm. the world's changed, obviously. Um, yeah, constantly changing. It's constantly changing, yes. isn't it? Constantly changing. Yeah. You've got to adapt, isn't it? Improvise, yeah. you know, adapt, overcome. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think um, one of the things that would have been good for a lot of people on every level about this pandemic, and sorry, that's the wrong thing. Let's not say good. Um, maybe it's one of the, the beneficial things people have realized mentally is that everyone had to stop what they were doing. So it's like the rat race suddenly stopped and it meant that everyone was able to just, I don't know, take a breather and hopefully reconnect with their creative selves. Not like, you know, 
make lots of new pottery or something like that. Although that's great. I'm all for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. More just that um, it's not always about the next job, the next job, the next job. It's more about why are you doing this? Why did you get into this in the first place? What do you want to do? Because that is the thing that's going to sustain you forever or get you into another industry altogether. Yeah, absolutely. It allows you to be brave, doesn't it? And make those, make those brave choices because you kind of take stock of where you're at and, and where you're going and kind of go, actually, you know what? I don't really enjoy that. And I've had a, a really nice time with this lockdown, you know, lockdown one, where it was a lot more, a lot more confusing, wasn't it? I think a lot of people yes. are a little bit more settled with lockdown two. People seem absolutely, to be a little yeah. bit more like, okay, I know where I'm at now. I'll go back to playing yeah. those like a quarter day, you know, <laughs> on the guitar, what have you. Yeah. yeah. Or if you're my neighbor, the piano, 12 hours a day, Whoa. but that's fine. They won't be listening to this, hopefully. Unless they <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully they play beautifully by now. They've had enough they time. Do. They do. They, they play wonderfully. Fantastic. I love it. Very <laughs> diplomatic. Um, JR, you've, you've worked in pretty much every role in the film industry. The only one I can't find really is a, is a credit for, as an actor. You know, you've done, you've done running, <laughs> oh, <I've> done <laughs> cameraman, writer, director, producer. Where do you feel the most confident? Oh, oh, um, directing actually. Yeah. Um, I'm, oh, maybe I think writer director is the thing we'll settle on because definitely directing is the thing. And I'm sure someone will rue me saying this like 10 years from now. It's the one thing I can kind of do with my eyes closed. Not that I do do it with my eyes closed, just that I've done it for so long and worked at it so long that it's got to the point where it's intuiting a lot more in me, you know, and I think with all training of any kind, like is, you know, like with acting anything, it's like you have want to take in all of this, get it all in you and then kind of forget it. So it just gets into your bones and it just happens more naturally. And I think with my writing, I'm getting to that, but still, still my writing's going up a bit of a hill. I'm still not that intuitive, but yeah, directing, put me on a set, dude. I am happy as Larry. I love Mm -hmm. it. Love being on a set. So you you work with your partner in crime, Kate Tuck, and yeah. So you've produced and she produces, and you sometimes swap those roles around, working on the same projects together. Do you work as a as a writer solo, or do you often will you often kind of be a bit collaborative with your writing? That's a really good question, actually, because um, I'd say so. We do normally write solo. So I produce Kate's stuff. Kate produces mine, and I would say um, hopefully again. Um, when you interview me again in 10 years, like, you know, someone else will be producing our work. We do it out of independent necessity. Ah, um, and mm-hmm. it's that lucky, lucky thing of, um, I never thought, um, like all people, when you start out, you're not the best collaborator because it's all about my stuff, me, 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 me. <laughs> and then, you know, as you go on, you're like, wow, film works so much better when you work with other people. What a crazy idea. And Kate and I have the same sensibility. <laughs> yeah, mind-blowing, crazy idea. It's a collaborative medium. And Kate and I, we share very similar sensibilities to the point that um, this morning she read the new draft of my script. And I know that when I get her notes, it's going to be the notes I would have given myself if I could read the script if I hadn't written it. Oh. And so it's been, I've been we're like so lucky in that sense because it means that all the work we do is twice as fast. We usually write solo, do our own things, then produce the other stuff. But we do work together. We teach at Lambda, um, mm. sort of giving students um, experience on a real film set. Um, really, there's Lambda are fantastic with this. They, they give you a full crew, like proper ADs, everything. Probably oh. better crew than I have on my sheets. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> it's great. Um, 
and that's the one time where we actually write and direct together. We share credits. And that was very interesting. Then we sort of used that as a basis to test things out, see what it's like to give over to someone in that way. Um, and it's like any relationship, man. It's hard. You've got to work at it. But mm. if you work at it well, it pays off dividends. Yeah, absolutely. Actual I, dividends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I do find it's kind of interesting that you, you, um, you centered on the, the point there of they're the notes that you would give yourself because i find that's a that's a really good strategy for problem solving is you can come up with solutions for people in your life you know like say say a friend of yours or whatever comes up to you and they they give you some some challenge and i find it i find it i'm able to kind of present solutions to those challenges quite quite quickly quite effectively yeah. but when it comes to my own challenges i kind of get a little bit kind of stuck in the details or i just can't you know come up against a bit of a brick wall at times and i find if i present the challenge my challenges to myself as if they were yeah. somebody else's suddenly <laughs> suddenly the solution starts firing off it's quite bizarre isn't it no it's absolutely true and i think i think this is like a thing with all creative like works you know whatever medium it is where so it's going to sound strange but it it's kind of that thing of where you obviously want people to give you positive feedback mm. and you want your work to be reviewed nice, all of this. And, and a lot of this industry, particularly film, is like a lot of films do, and I'm for people listening, and doing inverted commas, do well <laughs> because lots of people talk about them. Whether or not the film's good, they just get lots of press. And you will find that a lot of films don't get noticed simply because no one at the time said, I really like this. And then mm. 50 years later, there's a criterion. And I feel like with notes, you do need people to not possibly reinforce, but just to let you know what's really happening for yeah. you to hear yourself outside of yourself. And it's impossible. I mean, like you say, I'm amazed. It's great that you can do that, but I'm terrible at giving myself notes. Um, like the other day on Twitter, someone was having a bad time and I tweeted just, you know, did one of those, you know, whoever needs to hear this, just, you know, look out for yourself, mm -hmm. be kind, you've got mm -hmm. this. And the mm -hmm. next day I had a really bad day. And I was like, dude, Ooh. all I needed to do was look at my own message. And I totally didn't. And I beat myself up. And that, that is what we are. We're, we're the most neurotic, mm. neurotic artists in the whole world. Even like the alphas, the alphas, again, in inverted commas, you see on screen, guys, people at home, they are equally just neurotic. We just, we're really good at hiding it. Yeah, and absolutely. Like we've got everything together. But I think, I think you did well there, though, to at least establish... Bear in mind, it might have been 24 hours too, too late, for want of a better word. <laughs> you, you've, still, uh, you've still acknowledged it. And I think the next time, perhaps if you tell enough people as well, the next time you have a challenge like that, they will just say, well, you know, somebody once said to me, and then they'll just quote, yes. quote you back, you know. Quote That's, myself back. Yeah. Because, you know, they have, um, I was listening to an interview with Glenn Stearns and, um, you know, he said, it, you know, he had a similar thing like that with with business and he was struggling to, you know, kind of develop his his business. And he, he was speaking to his mentor and his mentor gave him some advice. And um, and then six months later, the same kind of fate befell the, the mentor and his business started kind of nosediving. And he just he did that. He just quoted back <laughs> exactly what he said to him. And he was like, oh, Thank you. Yes, I get it now. I get it. And th these are, you know, billionaire, billionaire um, uh, business business people, you know, and they still need yeah. that kind of yeah. feedback. They still need that um, that guidance.
you know, even yeah, if it is probably, coming from yourself. I mean, it might make sense because I mean, I think I think a good working example of that is Elon Musk. He must not have many people doing that for him at the moment. <laughs> Maybe other people do, <laughs> but no, I think that's true. I think it's true, and that is about. Funny enough, that comes back to something that is about collaboration, especially like in in anything. You got to surround yourself with the right people, and it's such a cheesy thing to say, but it's the absolute gospel truth. Because I've worked with well, worked with a handful of people where they were such negative thing people on set that it's only once you're outside of them that you suddenly realize what they were doing to the work and what they were doing to yeah. everyone else on the set. You know, suddenly and first you can you breathe. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and there are. I mean, obviously, I'm a proper professional. I won't mention names. Of course. For example, there is one person where. I'm, it sounds terrible, but this is true. Um, if I'm having a terrible time, something's gone wrong. You know, the use, something always goes wrong on set. That's part of the course. I just remember that I'm not working with that person anymore. <laughs> and everything's amazing. It's terrible because I know other people who've worked with this person do the same thing. And I'm, I cannot say, I'm obviously not going to say on podcast. Mm-hmm. Is. But um, yeah, it's that thing of you appreciating, like, my God, at least it's not like that. Mm-hmm. And um Perversely, again, I think that's what lockdown's going to do. Next year, when people are working on sets without masks, being able to, like, you know, do scenes in club. Like, I've had to delete scenes from things just because I'm like, hang on, are we actually going to be able to shoot this if this gets funded? Because yeah. this is like in a nightclub. Is this going to be hell? Is this a terrible idea? So you just cut it. And I think it's going to make us really attack things with more confidence because we're just being effing grateful mm. to be doing it. Mm. Yeah, definitely. You're so, you know, you're so lucky to to be able to create and and do things in your life, you know, as as any kind of person. So, you know, make the most of it. Too many people they um they just wallow in, you know, misery, but it's like one, it's a game. It's not yeah. real. When we leave, you don't get to take any of it with you. It all goes back in the box. Yeah, it's like monopoly. It all goes back in the box. So, why would you spend it being miserable? Yes. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You got to you got to push through it and and if it is a a medical condition or what have you, then take steps to solve it, you know, get therapy about it and 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 move through it so that you can enjoy the time that you do have because it is it is finite. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing. I think you're talking earlier about decisions, making brave decisions about what you're going to do and it's not like you have to be I don't obviously recommend anyone be absolutely precious with everything they do because most of the best things that happen to you, are all the best things actually that happen to you usually in life are completely unplanned and not things you were like, oh, I hope one day I do this particular thing with this particular person. Like those things, are, you know, that, that's what cosmically gets you out of jams. But I do think, oh, sorry, Jason, I've got, I should, I should actually tell you, this is quite a good aside, so you might have to edit this out. Okay, all um, right. <laughs> I get brain fog, a thing called brain fog. Uh-huh. Um, because I have Crohn's disease, mm-hmm. and that was an exact example of that. Where it's like I'm an old, an old person who I'll start a sentence, blustering through it, and then I will completely forget where I'm going with it. So I'll probably listen to this in about a year, and then remember what I was saying. <laughs> oh, literally right now, saying? you got you got some fog. Yeah, I literally got brain fog. <laughs> oh, yeah, was, wow, was, wow. One thing that's really important is if you're not precious, if you're open to it you can appreciate being on set or doing whatever you're doing much more because guys making art whether you're paid or not is like a massive privilege and i don't Mm. mean like you know privilege in terms of a class thing i just mean like if you're on if you're for me if it's on set you're doing something you want to do 
so few people get to do the thing they want to do mm. and yeah you might not be doing exactly how you want to do it like i won't be you know working for lucasfilm making star wars 10 but <laughs> touchwood might be one day but the point is is i get to tell stories mm-hmm. and people get to watch them and eventually those things this is the scary thought those things will outlast you not like a legacy they will just exist forever until the earth gets consumed by the sun but like just i think again recently the past year is going to bring this around again you have to take confidence from the fact that you are very lucky to be doing what you're doing even Mm. just sitting at home writing is an absolute privilege it's great i love it yeah absolutely and i think you mentioned uh you know hopefully filming and and being and developing star wars 10 but there's something (laughs) there's something beautiful about being inspired by those concepts and then going and creating your own universe absolutely because that's all they did right they yes. they saw something and they went, yeah, I want to create my own universe. There's something missing, you know, from yeah. the creation process. You know? Yeah, and that's the thing is everything you sort of grew up loving and still pay to go see at the cinema, they just came out of mostly thin air. Obviously, they're influenced by loads of things, but they were new. Mm-hmm. And again, that doesn't mean I don't want to make Star Wars 10. I would love mm-hmm. to make Star Wars 10. But mm-hmm. the point is, is you're right. I think there's something creating your own universe. And that, that's kind of, I think, what the thrill of creation is. It's not not playing god that's a scarier thought but it is yeah the idea that absolutely out of thin air everyone comes together to do this thing so if it's film everyone comes out of uh out of you know out of hiding whatever to come and do this film and then we'll all disappear and then hopefully in a year people are going to pay money to sit in a dark room for a couple of hours and experience this mm-hmm. and they're going to keep doing that and it's uh it's something that you just don't get with other industry like other other forms of work, I'd say, outside of the creative industry. It's, it's a really crazy, wonderful human thing. And I think we're just still slightly too used to it to realize how mm, crazy it is. Yeah, I think so. Like people forget that um, kind of film is only just over a hundred years old, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, people, yeah. it's like become such a mainstay of, of our lives that it, we forget that actually we're still really, really young in the, uh, in that whole timeline of film and and the ideas and the places we can take it, you know? Yeah, I think that's, and that for me, streaming obviously has sort of saved so many people. And I mean, I want everyone to go to the cinema. I love the idea of going to cinema. But at the same time, streaming has suddenly allowed for these mid-budget movies that we got Mm. in the 70s and things like that to exist again. And yeah, they're not necessarily going to cinema as much as they try, but at least the stories are being told. And they have the chance to be told. And I think, well, I remember when, you know, streaming started. Oh, God, I remember when Netflix was just um, through the post and you got DVDs. And <laughs> there you, was this time when that? You remember that time? Oh, God, yeah. Wow. I, I, remember, yeah I remember renting videos. It's great. Um, yeah, so like, I remember thinking, that. Yeah, yeah big like, time. Yeah, and, big time. and you thought, like, that was it. You know, I've got all my VHSs. This mm-hmm. is great. And you're right. It's such a young medium that, I mean, if I let, to give some context, people listening, this has been recorded the week that Warner Brothers announced they're going to release every film in 2021 uh, on HBO Max for a month and at the cinema too. And it is quite a shocking thing because it's not great for theatre owners, people, all the business and people who have jobs and that. But at the same time, and as sad as I am to see the end of, well, I do think it will be the end of a lot of film going as we think it is. Mm. Um, that's just kind of how the world is. Like it's a young medium. Um, it's going to change so much. Forms are going to change, and ideas that we always thought were destined for cinemas are going to only be on streaming. And 
I think it's up to us to embrace it as part of the new art form because, to be honest, I hate to say it, but it's true, but Netflix and uh, Amazon are basically saving independent filmmakers because mm. they've got money. Um, and they're still, at the moment, as we record this, the few places that act like the studios did in the 70s, where, and the American studios, I should say, where they will just let you do what you want and then maybe screw with you later if they don't like it. But yeah. the point is, is that they will let you do that in the first place. So I, I think, yeah, creatively, it's a, it's a young medium, but that is why it's probably its most interesting moment. Yeah, I think I, I, I kind of, you know, as, as tragic as it is that the cinemas aren't as full as they uh, used to be when we were younger, I think part and parcel of that is the price. You yeah. know, you, you they they got greedy. They charged way too much for for the price oh. to go to the cinema. I, I remember paying to go and see Ocean's Eleven in Leicester Square. <laughs> I paid twenty five pounds each. You know, to go see Tropic Thunder, twenty five pounds. It's like <laughs> there's no way. You know, there's no way. But equally, I've been to the Prince Charles Cinema and paid one pound. Yeah, and I have not seen the cinema fuller in like the previous yeah. decade, and it was awesome. And equally, you had the Wayne's World Schwing Along, which was you know <laughs> it was all like kind of kind of karaoke Wayne's World, and people turned up in costumes, had a great time. It was Prince Charles Cinema thinking outside of the box. How do we get people in? And people yeah. came. You know, if you build yeah. it, they will come. They came. <laughs> you know so it's like how how are you adapting or are you just being greedy it's a yeah. controversial statement i guess but you know without prime i wouldn't have been able to go and watch the good neighbor yes yes before, this, film. before this conversation <laughs> so i was able to go and watch the feature film that is out right now on prime go and go and look it up guys go and watch oh, it i think it's uh, in the uk and us guys us guys please there do the english spelling please please they're not helping me with that. Uh, <laughs> are they not? They're not. <laughs> no, that's a whole other conversation. Oh, no. Um, but the, no, I, I'm, I'm actually going to give a shout as well because Prince Charles, me, PCC is the real National Film Theatre. Sorry, NFT. PCC is the real because it's affordable. It has a much more eclectic mix of films and it just feels like it is generally for everyone. Um, I feel like I'm I part of a film that, club when I go there. Yes, yeah, and you, know? you kind of feel that everyone loves this or someone's going to discover something. And this is a really important thing. And again, I love you, NFT, but the PCC beats you because you can have popcorn, all right? <laughs> That's really, you know, popcorn in the films, it's a necessary it's thing. It's necessary. Whether you have it or not, it's, it's there. Mm -hmm. But, like, shout out to, um, like, my local cinema is actually Walthamstow Empire. And mm -hmm. they do, or, well, they will do. Oh, no, they will. I guess they're open again. Um, they do Tuesdays are three or four ninety nine. Mm -hmm. Any film, any screen, and it's packed all the time. And it's just um, they've got like nine screens, and it was nice to just go to the cinema every week and just see lots of people there. Um, yeah. And I mean, I've got to admit, I went and saw Bill and Ted Three. That's my only sort seen of it yet. No spoilers. Thing. No spoilers. No, I haven't it's, seen it yet. It's just great. It's great. But it's this thing of where I went and saw this film and. This isn't a spoiler anyway. It's just I came out really happy, mm -hmm. and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's what." And it, it made me so happy that I actually scrapped an idea for a new script because I was like, oh. "I think I need to put something nice into the world instead of my usual." This is what the world is like. <laughs> we all die, and you know things like that. But 
I think I think yeah, going to cinema is important at the moment just because it's getting out, and I you know it's getting out and having a communal experience. And like you say, it's just too expensive for most people, especially if you have kids. I can't imagine going to cinema with kids, um, buying the sweets, everything. It, you know, you're looking at a hundred quid or something like that. It's it's not possible. We need to give for me, cinema should be for everyone. You know, every single person should have the chance to go to the cinema. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think in danger of I'm in slightly in danger of labor in the point, but I will say that, you know, I've been in I've been in Wales um for the last few years and um Wales have got it they've got it right. They have the pricing perfect and the cinema is still alive and well in Wales. I was so surprised. Like it is an event there. Every every cinema, you know, every time I went to see a film, the cinema was always full. And I was like, I was blown away. I just thought it was incredible in the, you know, in Car, yeah, in Cardiff, in, you know, Carmarthen, in all of these random places throughout Wales. I was like, what? This is genius. We need to take, um, you know, we need to take a couple of leaves out of, of these guys' books because, awesome. you know, I, I went there thinking, oh, yeah, gosh, it's, you have to travel, you know, you have to get in a car to yeah. get to the cinema over there. And we can't even be bothered to walk a couple of, you know, a couple of yards. <laughs> so true. It's so true. It's so true. A bit random shout out to Kamarthen, all right? You guys hosted me for my fifth birthday where I got the Batman cave. <laughs> that was a great 1990. All right. Thank you. Come off and travel lodge. Great times. Great cool. memories. Probably make a film of it one day. Nice. Yeah, you should. You should. Um, yeah. Thrills. Yeah. Be, be inspired by uh, Honey Boy. Have you seen that? Honey Boy. No, the I Sh- still haven't. Sh- no, 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 Shia LaBeouf film. Watch it. Yeah. I've Watch heard it. that. It's that Honey Boy and Peanut Butter Falcon. Those two. I haven't heard of they're that my Shia, They're the two Shia LaBeoufs I've got to catch up on because they keep coming up in year lists. Just, you know, just solid. So, Honey. Mm-hmm. Is it Honey Boy? Yeah, Honey, honey Boy. boy. It's, I don't know whether it's the Honey Boy, a Honey Boy, or just Honey Boy, but um, it's really good. Yeah. Sweet. Really good. I really I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. There's, there is one. There is one uncomfortable scene which I kind of, I'm like, gosh, that must have been really weird to film, like, like really strange to film. But I guess it's an event that happened in his life, so he would feel that it was inauthentic to not have it in there. But right. um, but you, you, I'm not going to mention what what happens. But um, yeah, go go watch it, guys. Um, yeah, that's got me intrigued. All right. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. It's a bit uncomfortable. So. Um, Anyway, let's move on because we've mentioned we've mentioned um, the good neighbour, and we've also mentioned your uh, your diagnosis in for Crohn's disease. Oh yes, and, yeah, yeah. And I was reading that the film is actually inspired by that diagnosis. So yes, yes so it is, yeah. first of all, let's tell us what is it? What is Crohn's disease, and how do you catch it? All right, it? well, because um, again, I don't know when this is going out, but we're recording it during IBD Awareness Week. Right. So. There we go. Retroactively, this will work. I haven't done anything this week for it. Um, it's an irrit- it's, so it's an IBD, irritable bowel disease, um, but it's actually an autoimmune disease that presents itself mostly as a bowel disease. And what it is, is it sort of your body, they don't know why it happens. Usually it's because you get it through really stressful times um, as a result of a stressful time. But basically my body attacks itself and it does it mostly via the digestive system. Um, It'll release, and I'm really sorry if anyone's eating now, mucus from my mouth all the way through to the exit strategy. Um, and I will bleed. I won't be able to 
take on food really and you sort of your guts can perforate you can um i got down to seven stone when i was relapsing you know i, I got yeah really really bad um oh my funnily gosh. enough it was before i was diagnosed and i was like running so much and i was like i'm so good at exercise look at all this weight i'm losing oh, but obviously no. Not. <gasps> no it's all right it's all good it's all good oh, um gosh. and uh you have chronic fatigue from it um which is like chronic fatigue is very hard because you do just look kind of mm. um excuse me you do look kind of lazy in a sense but you're not you just cannot get up you cannot do anything mm -hmm. and it can strike you like that or it can leave you alone um and then also as i mentioned earlier we get brain fog where you sort of forget what you're doing momentarily you don't always get that and usually this happens when you're stressed and you'd think that would be being a filmmaker I'd be stressed all the time. Yeah, the whole time, actually, right? Mm -hmm. uh, no, I find uh, it, it's never been a problem because I think it's because what we talked about earlier, I just feel comfortable on set. And because being on set, I know things go wrong. <laughs> You're mm. kind of used to it, so it's not stressful. Whereas mm. I find I'm only stressed if I'm expecting everything to be perfect and then it's not. So anything outside of life, you know. Um, but Crohn's itself, it took me... A lot of people, it can take years to be diagnosed. It took me a very short time. I was really lucky. Um, and it was about five years ago. Um, and The Good Neighbor came about from it because I'd signed with um, a big agents, agency in Los Angeles before I got signed here. And obviously I thought, wow, mama, I've made it. Everyone's going to have a million dollar Ferrari. It's all going to be wonderful. And um, went to LA a lot. And I love LA. Um, not a lot of people don't say, but I love it. Um, and had lots of meetings over many years, and I just couldn't get certain scripts off the ground. And the honest reason was, which is one of the reasons I did like it, is Pete Studios just saying, you've got to make a film, John. We're not going to give you money until you make a film. And I was like, fair enough, that, that does actually make sense. Um, and I came back um, in the midst of still in relapsing uh, with my disease and thought, let's make a film and kate as well we were sort of like let's just make something dirt cheap british and let's make it about your diagnosis and i didn't want to make a film about a lead character going to the toilet all the time um because that's one of the big things of crohn's i thought that's not really what i want to do i'll do a documentary but not a film and so we looked at diseases that had similar things um and i hate to say this because obviously people suffer from diseases with how should i say it more dramatic stakes like real life or death i mean you can die from crohn's but it's a much very rare occurrence nowadays um and we came upon multiple sclerosis something you haven't really seen on screen um shares a lot of the brain fog the autoimmune dysfunction lots of things and obviously more beyond crohn's and we thought we can help people with ms we can tell a story with that and the main story we wanted to tell is universal to everyone even you did sitting there now you may i don't know if you have crohn's i'm guessing you don't because you asked me but no. for anyone it's about um you got to ask for help life's mm. really tough sometimes all right and the toughest thing you can ever do is ask someone for help and you will meet many stubborn filmmakers actors everyone who will not ask for help and they should do mm. and that's how we make great films um and so i made a film about a woman coming to terms with multiple sclerosis diagnosis and basically finding the courage to ask for help and that's that's where the good neighbor came from really Mm, nice. Like I was, re I was reading up about Crohn's disease and found that it, it supposedly it doesn't have a cure. No. So no, did, no, no. So no. did this film serve as a kind of therapy for you? It was that kind of yes. a, a a bit of a basis for it, a kind of the genesis or the, I the motivator. I would love to say. 
Yeah, I would love to. It was definitely the motivator. The only thing I would say, and it loops perfectly back to what we talked about earlier about positive reinforcement. Even though we shot that film three years ago, I still have trouble asking for help. <laughs> so oh. I've made a feature, made a feature film, and all of that, and I still haven't had that message in my bones. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm better at giving it to other people and realizing when people need help, they just don't want to ask for it. Mm. I, think, um, I think it's about right though, because about right, she. Uh, it's Jody, is it? Is it Jody, the name yeah. of the character? Jody struggles big time, doesn't she? Throughout the whole film, even once she's got the help, she struggles big time to ask for help. You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, there's a there's a scene there's a scene in the film where she asks for a cup of tea, right? And yeah, she yeah. asks for a cup of tea twice in the film. Can you like explain? So I was watching it, and I and I watched it back, and I, I went back to the time where she first asked for a cup of tea, and at first I was thinking that she was she was disappointed at the second time she asked for the cup of tea to be made. I thought that she was disappointed, and then and then I was like, wait, why? Okay, why is she asking for this cup of tea? Does she want to be disappointed? Is she disappointed because it was made the way it was made? What, what what is that about what is the tea the, the tea scene about it's, it's about okay now um obviously this is like a, a bigger deal for british people because like we love tea all right mm-hmm. you know we, we love it and i love my coffee as well but making a bad cup of tea is um i might be reading way too much is why i work here making a bad cup of tea is a sin a mortal sin like if there's a hell you will go to it for making bad tea and i feel like when you're with someone and a friend or loved one Asking them to make tea is like, it's a little sign of love. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It, it mm-hmm. always is. Making a cup of tea for someone is just a sign that you care. Offering tea, it's beautiful. And I think, I don't want to give spoilers for the film, obviously. Yeah, I was wondering how you can answer this without yeah, spoiling no, no, the film. That second cup, this will all make sense, guys, if you mm-hmm. go and rent or buy it, the good neighbor on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. That second cup of tea is, I guess it's a form of consent. It's acceptance. That's what that second cup of tea is. Yeah, mm. it's acceptance. There you go. And, mm. and accepting stuff is hard. Real acceptance is hard. And Steve Earle said um, for his, in the liner notes for his album, Transcendental Blues, great album, that transcendentance is um, a mother fudger, let's call it that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real bad thing. It, it's not easy. It's, not, it's always good for you, but it is basically like going through the windshield of a car. You've got to go through tough times to transcend something. And I always thought, like, yeah, that's true. Mm. Change is always hard. That's why we hate it. Change was easy. We'd be doing it all the time. Brexit would be over. It'd be great. I mean, it might be while, while people are listening to this. But that, that's sort of what it is. I think that cup of tea is about, yeah, the difficulty of acceptance. Yeah. Right. Thank you for that. Thank you. That's, just, that's, yeah, right. that's one of yeah. the rare times where I'll, I'll explain. I'll ex- there are some mm. things I'll explain. There's some things I'll David Lynch it and just say no. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking <laughs> uh, yeah, so when, when you were speaking there about that, I was thinking, hmm, I wonder if that's a terrible cup of tea. <laughs> you know, the second cup is just a really bad cup of tea. Because I, I have loved ones that make an absolutely god-awful cup of tea. And, you know, when they do offer, because it's like, well, you know, you have made me like 50 <laughs> cups of tea or whatever. Um, I, there's, there's somebody in my life where they've literally only made, I've only ever seen them make three or four cups of tea. They've only ever made me two cups of tea. And, um, and I've known them over 20 years. 
and uh, God, they were awful. <laughs> I, I think I only, I think I only had about two sips from each one, and just are you having like sh- sh- it out it and made a new therapy? one? Yeah, it's just uh, gosh. I mean, how do you make it? For me, I, I, I've made banging cups of tea since I was like seven years old. My mum taught me that pretty yeah. early on, you know, and I pride right, myself it, on my cup yeah. of tea. You know, I mean, you... my, my main thing that upsets me is, I mean, obviously I like a strong cup of tea, but I understand people have preferences, but I get a lukewarm cup make... of tea. Yeah. Lu- lukewarm tea is like the biggest crime. And if actually, if you give me a lukewarm of any beverage on set, you're fine. That's it. You're out of there. You'd be like Mugatu in Zoolander. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> frothy laddie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, frothy laddie. Don't you know it makes me bloated? <laughs> yeah, oh, gosh. That's oh, yeah, and actually, another thing for future assistants listening, I like custard creams, all right? That is a must on any mm. set. Got to have custard creams, mm. all right? Okay. Ooh. Interesting. No custard yeah. creams, well, no dice. Uh, yeah, no dice. I see that uh, biscuits feature quite a bit in Good Neighbor, but, but also um, <laughs> eggs feature a lot. And I, I was reading oh, that, God, yes. that eggs are a mainstay of Crohn's disease. So it's sort of like a, oh, a yes, staple. Yeah. Is that why you, that even though she has, she has MS, is that why you had her? Oh, no, I, wish, I wish it was that. I wish it was that. It was literally, so the, we shot, um, The Good Neighbor is, for everyone listening, The Good Neighbor is set on a farm, and that farm is in the fat in Kate's family, Kate Tuck's producer, and did story as well with me on that. Um, and we, we wrote this for the farm because we were like, oh. they've got a farm. Mm. We know we can live there. This is, this is independent 101, guys. Like, we know we can live there. We know we could buy caravans secondhand or rent them so that people could live on the farm as well. They don't have to spend, you know, hotels or anything like that. And it just so happened there was a farm with 13,000 organic and free-range chickens. Yeah, I saw and, that. Um, they had a I, nice ramp and stuff to, to run yeah, up. Yeah, no, they're, they're loving it. And they, they, run, they roam free. Um, and sadly, at the moment, it's no longer um, a chicken farm just because it's, uh, it's very labor-intensive and um, there's just Can't the family doing other things. Now. Yeah, basically. So the chickens are very happy and they've all been rehomed, I'm happy to say. But um, there yes. was this golden period, dude, in, in my life where I was getting eggs every week. Um, mm. Fred, it was amazing. Um, but for Crohn's, yeah, the Crohn's is wonderful if you have a bad diet because um, if you're relaxing, you basically have the beige diet, which is like anything beige. Mm-hmm. Um, like so oats, that would be eggs, eggs and bread, sausage and rolls, bread. Yeah, anything starch. And like that's, <laughs> and I know someone who found out they had Crohn's later in life simply because they uh, decided to eat healthily for the first time ever, what? and then they started relapsing. And I was like, wow, that's great. So they had to go back to the sausage rolls. But I'm fine. I'm I'm all good. I'm in remission. Uh, you can pretty much meds. eat what you want. Yeah, I mean, uh, in theory, in theory, the the saddest thing, guys, the saddest thing for any filmmaker, oh, is not being able to have black coffee on set anymore. Oh. Um, I can't have black coffee um, unless you don't want me on set anymore. That's the only way to get me off set. Give me like so. I just have milky coffee, which I think is a crime. But um, <laughs> I. It's the only I have one a day in the morning because it's like my methadone. Mm-hmm. I can't keep the habit. Can't ever give out. Have you yeah, um, have you tried bullet coffees? No. I know you, 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 you look you look puzzled. Yeah, you haven't had one yeah, before. Yeah, what's bullet coffee? No, what's this? All right, all right okay. So, so so this is what I'll have on a morning for my coffee when I do have coffee. I'm going through a bout of just having tea at the moment, but when I have right. coffee, this is this is what I have. Right. So it's um. It's a, a double shot or a single shot of coffee. So it's about this much coffee, which is about half a cup 
of coffee. Right. And then you have a scoop of uh, protein powder. Um, you can have vanilla. Vanilla's, quite, vanilla's pretty good. Or you can go half vanilla, half chocolate if you want a sort of mocha bullet coffee, right? Then you, get, right. Then you get a bit of butter. You can go up to yeah. about a knob of butter. And then a bit of coconut oil. You can, again, go up to a bit of, you know, you can go up to kind of about a knob of, of uh, coconut oil. And then, you know, it's solidified, so you don't have yeah, to yeah, put it in. Yeah. And then you stick it in a, a blender, whiz it up, yeah. Yeah. serve. You might even want to top up with a little bit of hot water. That's great. It's amazing. Really oh, and yeah. then you top it with cinnamon. That's really because I, I basically cycle. Uh, my, mm. my regular day job's in the centre of town, so I cycle. Uh, if I'm cycling all week, it's like 65 miles a week. It's great. Mm-hmm. And that seems like the perfect excuse it's to great. have a double coffee. It's I mean, great. reason, not excuse, a reason. Yeah. Because uh, if you're only allowed great. one coffee in a day, make it that one, right? Make it count. Yeah. I mean, obviously, sometimes I cheat, dude. I'm really bad. <laughs> I'm a terrible enabler. Um, I'm like, hey, you'll go, when you have disease like this, you'll sort of go, I had two coffees today. Maybe I'm miraculously better. Next week you have three coffees, then four, and then you're wondering uh, why yeah. you're tired all the time. And yeah, that's, the residual, the residual yeah. builds up, huh? Yeah, yeah, interesting. pretty much. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, so, uh, Crohn's disease is considered a disability, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, the and essentially that's kind of why you went down the the MS route. You were speaking about kind of bringing awareness to other disabilities. How do you think yeah. this is going to uh, affect your output in the future? Do you think you're going to like center around the theme of disability? Will it pop no, in again, or do you think you kind of your work's done in terms of awareness for the time being? I think um, I'd rather just be sort of an advocate of some kind. So I've had a lot of people when we were so I was in the Crohn's and Colitis UK. They're like the national sort of organisation. I was interviewed for them for the release of the film and to raise awareness. And a couple of people um, who are much um, sort of been doing film for much longer than I got in touch to say, hey, I've got it as well. And that was really wonderful. And I thought, okay, that's good. That means these people actually are listening. And a lot of my friends, in fact, on the film, we had Crohn's is related to also ulcerative colitis. That's like a, a... Still horrible, but not as wide-ranging version of Crohn's. Okay. And we actually had a couple of people work on the film who had Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. And it was that thing of going, mm. oh, there are a bunch of people who have it. Mm. Um, but I think in terms of future work, no, my next film um, is Touchwood. What will hopefully be your next film is actually, again, close to home, but it's about growing up mixed race because mm-hmm. no one really talks about it. Um, and it's a very individual thing, but it has wide-ranging accessible things for all audiences and obviously black lives matter got sort of re-energized sadly because of george floyd during lockdown and suddenly this script i was writing became even more relevant Mm. and it's times like that where i guess if i was going to tell someone just i it's so cheesy but you do kind of write what you know and i'm one of those people who since even my graduating film from Drama Center, I was like, I'm not going to write what I know. I'm going to write the most wonderful, wide-ranging things because that's what real dynamite is. <laughs> and then you get older and you realize, oh, I've been writing about what I know all the time. All the I time. just didn't realize I was doing it. You know, you just Ooh. didn't realize you're putting yourself in your script. Um, and that. actually, that is my thing now is I actually realize, like, what it, the way I approach new ideas now is rather than go like, the old me, which I still have a bit of, obviously, where I'm just like, what kind of Star Wars film am I going to make? I'm going to keep pushing the Star Wars thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I'm just doing that. It's more a case of 
what do I want to talk about, right? And not necessarily what message do I want to cross. I don't want it to have to be a message film, but what do I want to explore in the story? And then you find that thing, and then you go, all right, what's the best vehicle to do this? Or what's the vehicle I would love to go see? So I'll, I'll try and talk about this without giving too much away, but I'll get the audience intrigued. Oh, yeah, um, intrigued. The new thing I've written, no, yeah, like the new thing that I want you all to pay money to see in the future mm -hmm. um, is going to be called Powderfinger. Okay. Um, and it's, it's semi-autobiographical, right? And that, that's one bit of it. But the main thing I would say is it's a film that explores what happens when you internalize race. Okay, internalized racism. What happens when you do that? And so I took an idea like that. And you think, what's the best way to explore this? Or rather, what's the way I want to explore this? And for me, I'm doing a film that I guess is best described as Adventureland meets The Shining. So you're like, exactly, there you go. Jason raises eyebrows. There yeah, I like that. I like that. <laughs> and that's the thing. You, and that's why I love sort of science fiction, particularly, especially science fiction writing is it talks about present day matters so much better, I think, than a lot of so-called worthy, you know, contemporary takes on the same subject matter. And I said, I love it because it means people are watching films, not realizing like Get Out was the perfect example of that. Get Out could have just been a straight up drama um, with just, you know, just people talking in rooms. And this is how I feel about this. Talk, talk, talk. But instead, Jordan Peele used the horror of the situation to make it also really funny as well. Mm. Like, and it's such a better way of involving people without them realizing like, yeah, you're being involved in this much more than you think. You um, and so I think, yeah, write about what you know, but choose the thing. Think about what you want to write about. I think that sounds really basic, but it's such an obvious thing once you start hitting roadblocks. Yeah, I think it will just, it, we spoke about this with um, with Shay uh, quite a bit. And it's interesting that you mentioned um, the equivalent of like hitting a wall or pushing through the wall. Uh, he spoke about, you know, some, you've got to crash through the wall and there'll be a nice hole there that you can, <laughs> now you're through it. And now it, but then everybody else will see, oh, there's a hole there. And then yes. people will put price tag on what it costs to get through that hole. But it's super yes. important to be the one that breaks through it, you know? And yeah. And what's kind of interesting about what you're saying there is you will, we spoke about writer's block as well with Shay. And when you do write from a place of kind of that security, but also try and try and make that message relevant to other people to get them to care, it will just, it will just flow. It's not like you're trying yeah. to rip your hair out, trying to come up with ideas. You'll just find yeah. those similarities in your daily experience. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that's kind of bizarre that um, kind of equally, though, quite strange that you hadn't done a film about being mixed race beforehand. Yeah, you know? no, this is the case. This is this again. This is why this is great, because you keep tying back to stuff we've mentioned. It's like you've seen the future. It's like, <laughs> no, no, you'll see why. So you asked me earlier, like um, about therapy and, mm -hmm. um, you know, about Crohn's and stuff. Well, as the Powderfinger, for example, literally came out of therapy. Um, not that, you know, I, sh I was going to therapy and like workshopping scripts with my therapist mm. unbeknownst to them. Um, no, not like that. That's quite a genius idea. Right? Yeah, it's genius idea. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but no, what it was, was um, I'm 35 um, mm. and I, um, I'm mixed race and I come from a working class family, but I was brought up very middle class culturally. So I sort of have lots of aspirations, you know, I'm like, uh, like Obama style aspirations and that sort of thing. Okay. I was, I was taught to, to believe that everything's for you, not like this isn't for us. But the flip mm -hmm. side of that 
is it means that when I play into a system that I believe is based on meritocracy and not about, say, the color of my skin or the finance in my bank account, anything like that, I suddenly feel betrayed because I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, hang on here. You're telling me this isn't merit. You're, you're telling me there's nepotism, and obviously there is now. We obviously know all these things, but when you're doing well within certain systems and structures, once you try to go out of those, then you run into problems, and that is what systemic racism is partly about. Not that I've necessarily experienced it my whole life, but that's how systemic racism can you can notice it manifesting itself. If you play by the rules, yeah. You'll do okay as much as you're allowed to do okay. If you try to go out of those rules, then no, this isn't for you. And recently, with the Brexit vote, which plays in the Good Neighbour as well, um, I've felt because uh, I'm a Londoner, you know, born and bang in the centre of London, I grew up in Radlett, like um, just outside of London. And when we had that um, that referendum, I felt like a bit of a stranger in my own country. It was weird. Mm. Um, people were more openly racist. You felt stares more, or I imagine that's important that there was more staring, whether or not there was all the time. And I suddenly had to really grapple with more about literally the color of my skin in ways that I'd never had to in my whole life. Probably, I guess, because I grew up in a very multicultural bubble. I didn't have to go outside of it. And so I went to therapy, did all this stuff, and a conflux of two ideas. I literally came up with the idea for the film during therapy kept my mouth shut obviously and the therapist was like are you okay i'm like i'm fine and uh <laughs> quick get my notepad out <laughs> please i've got to write i've got to go to the toilet and um i uh yeah and I, i've sort of and the great thing is is and i don't recommend this for every script um i don't think all scripts should be forms of therapy even though i think all art is a form of therapy it's a form of working through something you it usually is because you're doing it unconsciously and I think the great thing about this script for me has been, as the script's got better, I've definitely, it's been because I've understood the issue more and more. So I've understood what I need to show, what I need to do. And so what that means in terms of film is my, I have two people involved, um, producers outside, and the notes have been always, there's a lot of dialogue, John, and it's because I'm talking through things with mm, myself. You've got a lot you realize, to say. Oh, mm. Exactly, yeah. And then you've done it and you're like, okay, let's do some actual filmmaking, here, some actual storytelling. Um, I'm yeah, really excited uh, for this film. I'm really looking oh, forward should, to, yeah. to watching it. I'll give you, I'll give you my PayPal account. Look, we can, we can pop that in the, uh, we'll pop that in the bio, you know, or like those links to, to that page on your website, you know, cause you, you've got quite a few projects kind of going, but yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited about it. We'll get to that bit later. Um, oh, yeah, you no, know, cause you've got, you've got, you've got, yeah, you've got, you've got a lot of stuff, um, kind of whizzing around there. Um, this is fantastic. I, I, yeah, really, really, really in, enjoy that kind of insight into into the film. How many more people know about this? Is this an exclusive? Uh, Have we got ourselves an exclusive on the podcast? I think you've got an exclusive because my the line that's on our website in development is vague because obviously right. you don't want to give. Yes. And, I, and obviously after this, I'm like, I'll, I'll voice the script on you, dude, but I'm not going to, you know, give any mm -hmm. specifics. Mm -hmm. All I will say it's set in America. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. And that's, born out of just um if it gets made there then more people see it that's the mm -hmm. brutal you know it's the brutal reality of being yeah, a british filmmaker enough. is yeah. you're like like the good neighbor if it was released at the cinema as much as i would have loved that for myself and that would have been great i know that most people will watch it mm. on amazon mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that i've come to you know you sort of as a filmmaker you come to terms with that but you want as many people as you can to see a film um mm. and right now i've sort of 
yeah, with lockdown and everything, however people can see stuff, please let them see it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Available right now on Amazon, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Um, uh, So, so, back to the good neighbor. Did you intend the message to be that way versus the completed project? Are you happy with that kind of end product? Yes, actually. Um, I'll give you another exclusive. Oh, man, this is another Um, The film that you guys see was the last act was actually completely different um, going into Mm -hmm. actual shooting. We shut Mm -hmm. down for two days during in the middle of shooting, and I rewrote the entire third act of the film. Um, Whoa. It was because, yeah, it was that thing where you're you're making a film, you go two weeks into day shoots, and then we're starting night shoots, and you're suddenly like, hang on, this isn't the film, this isn't the same as the message we're getting across. We're making a much more naturalistic film, and the film we were making had much more sci-fi in it. And uh, oh. we shut down, rewrote it, toned it down, lost about 10 pages. Um, hmm. So about, about five minutes, back. right? Five minutes to the, uh, to the audience. About five minutes? Yeah, actually, probably, probably more than that, because I should tell the audience that one of the lead characters has no dialogue. And what that means in a script like that is a sentence of he moves over here and does this is actually quite a lot in screen time. Usually it's a minute per page or thereabouts, you know, something like that. Um, but actually with The Good Neighbors, I found out I thought I had a really short script and then realizing that that character doesn't speak is lots more screen time and mm-hmm. it added a good, good chunk onto what was originally expected. But yeah, we, we rewrote the film and had to cut a few cast members, um, cast, oh. cut lots of prosthetics that we paid for and were fantastic. Lots of fight scenes that we'd actually did oh. rehearsals for oh, and everything you hadn't already recorded them right it was just no we okay. we just like we're not going to do that it doesn't fit with the tone or the message of the film mm-hmm. um and again you, you can laugh but this is something i've actually said before at the time was the, <laughs> the last act was essentially a star wars audition it was just like give this man a job really? and it was like you're not serving the story and my job mm-hmm. is to serve the story that's my life um and yeah we redid the end of the film and it was so much better for him so happy i mm. would be i would think you wouldn't be talking to me if you saw the original ending you'd be really? like unsend that email when you mentioned fight scenes and things i can i can see exactly what you would have done without you having to yeah. tell me because of the introduction of some of the characters and the fact that we don't yeah, uh, I don't want to ruin anything for our yeah. audience. But, oh, yeah, no, no, exactly uh, that. Yeah, I can see exactly what you did on there. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Because, I mean, if you're someone listening to the podcast now and you literally have no idea about the film, all you've heard is it's a film about a lady coming to terms with multiple sclerosis, asking for help, and now you've just heard that it ended with loads of fight scenes and prosthetics. <laughs> mm. So there's a definite mixed message there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, big time, big time. <laughs> well, it leads us quite nicely on to the next kind of... Um, question because you've mentioned that one of the main characters had no dialogue at all and yes. um this obviously presented some challenges from your script writing but the question is how do you actually ensure that actors can be brave with their commitments to their choices without feeling a little bit silly for want of a better word because it's quite exposing isn't it to in particular, to be acting in a scene with no dialogue. Yeah, I, I think the, the main thing with every collaboration um, is just, it's trust on both ends, absolute trust. And for me, 
Um, Good Neighbor is slightly different because I knew 80% of the people involved. I'd known them for years. I'd worked with them for years. There was an implicit, even before, you know, I'd written the script. I'm like, I'm doing this thing. I'd like to be in it. You know, there's trust there. But I think it's also um, me handing over to them and letting them be free with it. You know, you, you sort of, it's more, it's, it's literally, you go back to the chickens. It's letting someone be free range. There are boundaries, but you know, you've established boundaries, but you're letting them run free as much as they can. Because once you choose the right direction, the right action, the right, and only, I won't even do object, like, um, what's it? Um, I won't even do activities with them, sort of how they achieve those actions. I won't do that with them. It's, it's because I put them there in the first place because they're great at doing their job. And if there is someone, um, there were a couple of people who had never been in the film before and some of them didn't have dialogue, some did have dialogue. And again, that was just embroidering trust in each other. And I think trust is a 50-50 thing in the sense of it's 100% whole, one half from the other, one half from one person. And with George, who plays the lead without any dialogue, the great thing with George is, I mean, he's a great actor. And the funny thing about The Good Neighbor is it's the furthest from any role he's ever played. Yeah, um, he's, he's usually the suave kind of madman, uh, yeah. you know, suits kind of kind of actor, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's, he's fantastic. And it, when it's that thing of where obviously George, like anyone would have, had a bit of trepidation and then George hit it. And I trust him with this. He, um, he famously has, you go to his Instagram, these wonderful cats. And um, he was <laughs> like, I was sort of like, dude, you're, you're just like your cat. Your cat is your inner, and because I knew his cat, I know his cat very well. And once he did that, he was able to embody all of the silent things because you know, you the audience. I said, I explained to him, the audience are going to project onto you. We do that all the time, and we project onto cats and animals. I project onto my cats all mm. the time, probably too much. I've probably recorded <laughs> a whole podcast of material with my cats. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say trust. Trust is the thing about letting an actor go somewhere, and also. And that, that trust means that you are able to give notes, that you are able to give the criticism that will help them get there because they know that all they want, all you want from them is for them to be their very best. It's not about mm. me. It's not about even them. It's about the story. So I always get this the wrong way around. It's either about getting, someone can correct me on this in the future. It's either getting everyone to want what you need or to need what you want can never remember which way but it doesn't it's you get the get, general idea mm-hmm. to want what you, to want what you need or to need need what you want need it sounds like it's the first one want what you yeah. need you want, want what you need want what you need yeah so get them to need what i want that sounds a bit manipulative that yes it does like yeah, yeah it doesn't it yeah exactly i think Let's it's the first the one. one yeah i think it's the first one the allegations yeah. arrive <laughs> Yeah, you made me do this. Um, <laughs> so you, you've mentioned they're working with a lot of a lot of people. Uh, so we'll do some little shout outs here for these guys. You know, you've been working with several cast members uh, from previous projects. Fiona Hampton, George Taylor, <laughs> Pablo, Pablo Royo. How would you? Rojo, call? yeah, yeah. Pablo pa- Rojo. Pa- Pablo Rojo. Um, how important is it for uh, Black House Pictures to actually work with familiar faces? I think it's great because, again, it's that level of trust that you can get. To, that I know I can I go to Fiona and say, I can only pay you this much money, okay? Mm-hmm. But you're going to have to do this much work. And she'll look at it and go, well, yeah, that, that's a story I want to serve. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the thing. Because I think one of the key things about casting as well is just about, particularly for a feature, is people who are going to, not to quote Hercules by Disney, 
that are going to go the distance, you know, <laughs> that are going to really, mm-hmm. really go there with you. Because, like, when you're doing something like, the, I mean, poor old George and Fiona, I mean, George in particular, he's got scenes where they were filmed in the middle of, like, on the Essex-Cambridge border, in the middle of the night, in, like, September, and in a cold snap, and he's butt naked lying on his back while Pablo is changing the batteries on the camera, you know, and just mm-hmm. a little bit of focus. There. And even that, the, phys- the physical side of it, mm. being, being on location in a caravan for three or four weeks, like that, you've got to really want to serve that story. You're really going to do that because you're not doing it for the money mm. at all. And if you are, then you shouldn't be making films. Like, no. Not a good idea. You know? No. No. Absolutely. And I think, uh, yeah, as well, you can... I thought he did very well to not have a goosebump on his body during those scenes. Just in, yeah, in yeah, hindsight, just yeah, thinking about that, like, God, he must have been freezing. <laughs> but um, you, you spoke there about budget and um, having to kind of expect people to kind of do a lot of work for little to to, to no monies. And you've mentioned there that you you have had to, you had to take out personal. You didn't mention it here, but you've mentioned previously um, having to take out personal loans and things like that to to kind of get the project yeah, across quite, the line. Yeah. So investment things like that. Yeah. So altogether, the the project cost thirty six thousand to shoot. Yeah. Right. So initially to shoot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went. We st- We knew that we could get everything in the the metaphorical can now, not the actual can. For 36 grand we knew that was it with contingency and everything mm-hmm. um and i should note everyone getting paid obviously and mm-hmm. all of that wouldn't um and um not well obviously not a lot of people above the line all the time but like we did eventually get to pay ourselves which was nice right um eventually um, and um it was 36 then and then i knew because i was sort of like you see indiegogo campaigns all the time for films that haven't been made and the money they get is astronomical and a lot of times you can see that they're probably not going to be very good and mm. it's quite shocking there's that much money being spent um but we knew like hell we shoot a whole feature and then i cut a trailer and we go to indiegogo with a trailer this will be easy and it was great we because we budgeted that we'd need 14 grand to finish and um we got it um, awesome. and it was one of those like yeah it was one of those like wow it worked um mm-hmm. it actually worked mm-hmm. um and obviously it's because we do, I should stress, and people are sort of like going, so you made the film for like 50K. We should stress that so much is done in-house. So I edited, I graded, oh. I sound mixed. I did everything. I did, did the surround sound mix. Mm. I did the masters for Amazon. I did the 4K DCPs for the wow. cinema screenings. And it's just because like for years we've had to do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we just know how to do it. And obviously in the future, Disney on Star Wars, I won't need to do that. It's cool. You can let someone else do that, <laughs> but like, it's it's just out of necessity. I mean, usually I sh- a lot of the time I shoot our projects, um, mm. but there was no way I'm going to shoot and direct my own feature. No way, I'm not mm. an idiot. And Pablo is amazing, mm-hmm. um, and that was really good. Letting go again because I shouldn't be shooting that. I'm not Steven Soderbergh. I'm mm-hmm. John Reed Edwards. Um, yeah, I can't do that. Yeah, I really enjoyed the uh, really the color grading. It. Actually, uh, that's oh. yeah, that's definitely. Uh, I thought, oh yeah, I wonder who's got to do this you know or they've got to do this because yeah i really enjoyed it i thought it's kind of suitably bleak when it had yeah. that kind of um film you know film grain kind of effect to it i, I felt as well so it's like it felt very kind of nostalgic at the same time but very, oh, cl- very, very, very clean you know still very clean I like, give, 
I mean, I've got, I've got to give Pablo. Pablo did um, a final pass with me, so I've got to give Pablo some grading credit there because, mm-hmm. like, he did the last sheen, and you know, he's a DP. He notices things that even me in my anal state mm-hmm. did never even saw. But mm-hmm. yeah, and I, I will. I won't lie. There are a lot of um, a lot of the color schemes in that film were chosen by our production designer Zara Mansouri. She's amazing. But we had a lot of happy accidents. So um, nice. There's one scene where, if you watch the film, there are two gentlemen chopping wood mm-hmm. and their jackets match the colors of the containers in your in their oh. eye line it looks like they've got space in the world and it looks like we moved these whole shipping containers to suit the scene nope didn't realize until that's cool. a month later there's, there's yeah mm-hmm. happy accidents yeah it's that's those it's it, yeah exactly it's what it's all about isn't it it's what's all about finding those happy little accidents and i've done uh, a bit of color grading myself and uh gosh that is that is laborious <laughs> work I, I just did it on a, a fight, you know, five minute, five minute video that that I was making, and um, God, I didn't want to touch it again. <laughs> I was like, yeah, the, next, that, yeah. the next videos that popped up, I was like, gosh, can I get away with not doing this? Like, is it really? Like, I can see that it does look better, but oh, does does the general populace really care? But yeah, I think yeah, on a feature film, you, you can't you. do that, can you? you? You can't get away with that. Well. No, there yeah. is a headache. There is something that will make you, it might make you anxiety since you grade on your own just to hear this. Um, black levels and night scenes, guys. How much could you, because you want to keep it dark enough that it's obviously night and it looks nice, but you need people to see what the hell's going on. I'll never forget, we had the cast and crew screening at the Rio. Love the Rio. Great cinema in, you know, in Dalston. And um, I remember taking the DCP and I was like going to projectionists, can you just play it? I just need to see this one scene. Um, I need to see if uh, it's dark enough, if the black levels are right, you know. And then I look at it, I go, yeah, that's good. Kate goes, it's good. And then obviously I have to go to the projectionist. Did it look good? Did it look good? And you just, you've got to let go. You've got to, haven't you? Exactly. You've yeah, got to let go. I did, I did make like mental notes during that screening going, oh, yeah, yeah. but you mm-hmm. just, you've got to let go. Because people as well, I'm not setting up everyone's TVs, mm-hmm. you know. I mm-hmm. wish I could, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to be. So you got to let go. That's a whole other thing we could, we could go on. Yeah, we could go on for a while on that one, go. couldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. you got, like, masking as well. You can get oh, really, geez. like, super, like, zeroed in with masking. And yeah. they don't even, people don't even notice. No. You know, if you've done, you know, as long as you've done a half-decent job that they, because it's so, because to us, frame by frame, it's like, oh, that's really obvious. But when it's, yes. like, in, you know, 25 frames a second, they, uh, they don't notice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's absolutely. like gone, gone. Yeah, anyway, but you, meanwhile, you're there like three hours later. Next, oh, I'll know when right, that criterion right, right. comes out, I'll be <laughs> livid, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so do you find working with familiar faces gives you the confidence prior to the project even beginning? Oh, I'm gonna sound really egotistical, dude. This is gonna sound so bad. We can come. <laughs> oh no no this is great just go for it just have it um there was a time when yes it would have been that way because i do i do love working with people again and like george and fiona i will i guarantee you we'll be making films when we're way too old when no one wants to watch these old people mm-hmm. make films that's what we're doing it but with like freelance work and working with like for example the teaching market with lambda those are self-contained films those are films in their own that the students then a lot of them doing really well like so much better than we are like really great um they they sort of go off and um it's these nice little proper short films they get to do and it is because i think of the crew the working environment lander provides and 
I've got immense confidence from working with brand new people on those films because I can just sort of, I feel like I can show up and do the job. Well, I know I can. That's what I mean. I'm happy that I've got to that point in my life because I remember when I was much younger and it was that feeling of imposter syndrome. Like they're all mm. going to find out that I don't know how to load a 35 mil film <laughs> camera, even though we're shooting on digital. Like, you know, it's something like silly like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do find, yeah, that I, I love working with new people. In fact, Christopher Macquarie, a director extraordinaire of the new Mission Impossible films, but because he's the first guy to like direct more than one Mission Impossible film, he changes up his crew with every film oh. so that each film has a different feel that mm. he doesn't get to just go into all things. And I love that idea. And like, I think with, the, um, with certain projects I've done, I haven't worked with Pablo. And Pablo is like my go-to DP because he just has the same sensibility. At the same time, it's very freeing, just as it will no doubt be for him to not have to work with my sorry ass. Like, mm. it'll be great. It's great to work with other people. I think it just keeps you open. It keeps you, it habit releases. That's it. Gets you out of bad habits. Mm. Habits you didn't even realize you had. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because you can find that you have a team of people and as lovely as it is to develop that kind of knowledge and that base, um, you know, and you get the kind of work that, the work of Nihai, for example, Nihai Theatre Company, that yeah, yeah. have worked with that yeah. same core unit for so long. Um, but also, when you when one of those pieces of the puzzle isn't you know part of it anymore, then you can end up feeling a bit lost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. like something's missing, something's not right. There's a, there's an omen over this project or what have you. So by switching it up, you can end up being like you say, fresh. Yeah, because my, so my favorite band in the world, and this will date me immeasurably, is Pearl Jam. And Pearl Jam are still a lot around. They're still making tons of money touring and stuff, unlike most people of their time. And I think it's because they've had to change their drummers for lots of different reasons. For some, haven't been able to physically do it anymore, things like that. And the drummer is such a, obviously every member is a key component, but the drummer mm. does a specific rhythm that it's changes It's the engine it room. Engine exactly, room the yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that change is what's kept them alive. Because they've just had to rethink and now they're in a, in a good way, in a comfortable sort of late stage where they're just like, okay, this is the band as it is now. This is great. And I think that's what, yeah, collaboration is. It's got to be, David Bowie said it. He said, like, you want to be making stuff like walking out into the sea. You don't want to walk out into the sea as far as you can and you feel comfortable. You want to go one step beyond that. So you're just out of your comfort zone, but you're still near it. And that, I think, is the best place to be making stuff. Mm-hmm. Bowie said that, not me, but that is the thing to live by. If you're slightly uncomfortable at doing something, it's probably the right thing to do. Slightly, not completely uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> that's great, Jay. I like that. I like that a lot. I think that's, yeah, I think it's good. So listeners, pay attention. Pay attention. You know, switch it up. Don't get, don't yeah. get stuck in the, in the quagmire, as it were. You know, switch it up. Have that confidence to switch it up. And there we go. That's it. That's the end of part one. Join us again on Thursday, part two. But I just want to know very, very quickly, what were your biggest takeaways from the session? Was it about adapting? Or was it about having the confidence to switch it up when something isn't working? You know, when JR was talking about actually rewriting the whole last 10 pages of his script whilst on set. All of the links to JR stuff is in the comment section below. If you are looking for the good neighbor and you are based in the US, 
Don't forget to use the British spelling. So that is B-O-U-R. That's how we spell it in the UK. Make sure you let uh, JR know your big takeaways as well. Have a great day. I'll see you on Thursday for part two, 7 a.m. Bye-bye.